This is Idle Inspiration, uh, the podcast about finding our next favorite role-playing game or building it. This, I'm here. This is Caleb. And I'm here with my good friend, um, Seth. David is not here today. I did message him a little while ago just to see, you know, if he happened to be randomly free, um, but uh, he hasn't responded. So I'm assuming the answer is no. Um, welcome, Seth. Welcome to Idle Inspiration. Hi, Caleb. Good to be here. Uh, I hope David pops in. That'd be actually really nice yeah. to have him on that'd this competition. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're uh, we're here. We're talking. I, I was uh, David's uh, a busy man, and uh, I was like, I need to get some more people on uh, this podcast to talk about role playing games, because that's one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, and so I invited uh, my good friend, Seth. Um, Seth and I have uh, a long history. Um, a lot of it centered on role playing games. Um, so I guess he's been on this podcast once before. We talked about uh, the Savage Tide, the uh, the original campaign, uh, not the original campaign, I suppose, but like the actual long running campaign we did together. Um, you you played like a barbarian before that in like some like three I played a, campaign. I played a barbarian and then I played like a ninja, I think. Well, yeah, you played a ninja at the beginning of Savage Tide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you picked up Striker, yeah. That's what and then we, then we, then we, a bunch of us like decided, yeah, Caleb, we hate this. We hate these characters. Let's retcon this real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's almost universally at the beginning of that campaign, everyone changed their characters, except for Connor. Connor played Pottle all the way through that, that game. And that was actually good for story development, though. Yeah. yeah. Think of it, his entire party gets wiped out at the beginning, and then this whole new party just rolls right in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of, that was good storytelling. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. But yeah, so we're we're here once more, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, homebrew rules. So when you're when you want to take a role playing game and you look at its rules and you say this sucks, let's do something different. Um, you can technically do do that without uh, being so vitriolic against uh, against a role playing game. But um, yeah, let's 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 talk about it. So um seth you you start the conversation here what what's your experience with homebrewing rules what when you come to a role-playing game and decide you know what we need to change some things uh what what is that like so in the last like two years i the campaigns i've like partaked on i've had um a nest an array of just weird little homebrew rules like um i play uh like with the the hero system um mm, yeah and the You're a brave man, the GM made a home rule saying you get one mega attack that no one can stop if you can only do it once per session, whatever. I mean, this is when, when the, the GM allowed a character, uh, allowed a player to make essentially Thanos' snap and would eliminate half the, the parties opponents or health of the big bad or whatever you want whatever have you and i think that sometimes that homebrew rules are getting get a little too um too uh handholdy i guess i think uh that uh some gms are just want to try and make their players happy but they're sacrificing an actual challenge in the in the role-playing field uh, yeah, definitely that can happen sometimes. And that's that's one of the things to be careful about, especially when you're playing with a game that's 
I mean, any tabletop role-playing game should try to be this, um, you know, like a finely tuned machine that if you take one piece away, it starts to fall apart, right? Like everything that's there should be there for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and a good role-playing game will have its ducks in a row and, and have rules that are there for a reason and, and tweaking them. You'll have, so so my typical like um, starting point is actually playing the game as it is before I mess with it, right? Um, and, and for a while, right? Like don't mess with the rules, just play the game, right? Just see what the game is trying to tell you, See the game, the, the experience the game is trying to get you to experience. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't like that, then sure, yeah, you can take a look at the rules and start tweaking things. See if you can get that experience tweaked in a direction that's going to make it mm -hmm. better for you and your your new players. But at the very, I, I would highly recommend if you're playing any role playing game, just play the role playing game, follow the rules, until you're experienced enough with the game to know what is not working and for you. Um, yeah. About how many games would that be? Like a couple full campaigns or uh, no, I don't think uh, that long. Or like I, a I would couple say, one shots. I'd say like, yeah, I mean, in a couple of one shots, you can certainly get a, a feel for it. I my recommendation would be to play like 10 episodes, 10, 10 sessions. Right. Um, Get an arc through. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Play, especially for a game like um. I don't know, like Fate or Burning Wheel or yeah, even Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons, which has like, you know, leveling and stuff like get through um, a good portion of the game, like be able to do some of them, um, be able to experience not just the beginning mechanics of a game, mm -hmm. right? Especially for a game like Dungeons and Dragons, where you're there's like multiple levels of things happening, like maybe do a couple of one shots at different levels to see how it feels or play a full arc all the way through and maybe 10, you know, 10 sessions and try to go from like level, you know, one to three or three to five or something like that, right? Um, get get a as wide an experience as you a wide a, a range of experience as you can with the game. Now, obviously, if you like start session one and you just hate it i wouldn't even just i wouldn't try to homebrew at that point i would just say find a different game right um but uh the best way of of to homebrew is to play a game love the game and say you know there's there's just a few things that if they were tweaked could be better for our particular experience right like when uh, yeah. uh 3.5 when we would do the when when you had to confirm your criticals that was just not mm. upon rule. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. The original 3.5 rules, you had to, whenever you got a 20, you had to roll again. And if you would have hit the person, right? If you would, would have hit the creature still after that mm -hmm. roll, then your critical is a critical. If you mm -hmm. didn't hit, it would it was still a hit, but it wasn't a critical hit. Um, so basically, a mm -hmm. 20 meant you always hit the thing, but it might not have been a critical hit. Which, you know, it mm -hmm. makes sense, um, especially for like uh, high AC monsters that you happen to get really lucky on. It, it might not mean that you get to do critical damage against it, right? It just mm -hmm. might mean, oh, you got lucky, you got a normal hit in. But mm -hmm. for our group, it was just, it's more fun and it, it slowed the game down less to just mm -hmm. say a 20 is automatically a hit and it's automatically a critical always. Just mm -hmm. more fun that way for us. Well, it was definitely a lot more fun and it honestly, it's kind of, it did speed up some of those uh, more difficult boss battles. I was going to say, well, we needed all the speeding up we could possibly get because it took like six hours to do one combat back in the day. Oh, uh, that's I think we were... that, that may not have been the rules faults, but <laughs> I don't know when you put a bunch of teenage boys down in the basement with Mountain Dew and pop and candy. Yeah. And the possibility oh. of playing World of Warcraft in the other room and not actually uh, playing the role playing game. Nate. Yeah. Nate. <laughs> um, how's that Death Knight doing, by the way? 
Death. Oh, uh, I haven't played <laughs> World of Warcraft in so long. I don't think I ever played a Death Knight. No, I you were kind of played a Death Knight. I like destroyed your guys' armor by dying when I was already dead like a hundred times. I kept... Man, that ha- it must have happened so long ago that I don't even remember at this point. I played mm-hmm. so many characters in World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, so pit, so so some pit pitfalls about the homebrewing though are what being too either too strict. I mean, that's the there's uh, the left and right battle. You're either too too nice, or you're just yeah. that much of a jerk, and you can't, and you're not allowing any any fun. Mm-hmm. Um. At what point do you what or what point does a GM because you GM more than I do? I, I I'm a player. I'm not a GM most of the time. At what point do you have to give your players a little bit of wiggle room? And then what point? And then what point do you feel like you have to start putting your foot down with your players? Yeah, this is this is always a fun conversation that uh, particularly David and I have. Um, Jared is is pretty. Jared likes to make the rules do what he wants them to do um david has issues with the rules right he'll he'll just like come up against a rule and be like this is dumb we should change this part of that is because david is a david is a game designer by heart and he likes making games like he's currently Mm. making a game on his own right now um we've we've talked about that game on this podcast before uh bonds um but usually he'll, he'll come up against something and just be like this isn't fun for me i want to change it um for me i i so, so it's easy, way easier for David to just instantly be like, I don't like this rule. I want to change it as opposed to me. I, I and I think this is just good, um, good etiquette, good game etiquette. And I think, uh, is if I bully David enough, he'll agree with me, um, that you, you need to play the game a little bit more with the rules. Oh, wait, are you written. saying bullying is a good game? <laughs> You're yeah. saying bullying is, is okay. Come on. Uh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe sometimes, you, you know, yeah, I'm not actually, okay. bullied, David, you know, um mm, yeah, yeah right, you know uh no but you bring up a good point yeah I, you should play the game for right. a while right like understand the game that's that's the biggest thing for me is like you you should know why the rule exists before you change it right so if you just come across a rule and you're just like i don't like this mm. but you don't know why it's there um then you shouldn't change it right um play it play it out more um try to you know read more of the rules figure out why why does this exist right like if this was taken away what would happen um and and try to figure that out before you just start changing things willy-nilly um otherwise you're going to break things pretty pretty drastically and you might come to the conclusion after playing for a while that it's this rule that is breaking the game and that might be true there are plenty of badly written games out there and there's also plenty of games that don't work for your particular play style um where you know uh, you know uh, fate for example has has some issues where uh, you know for for a player like david or jared um they're they're gonna min max like crazy right and mm-hmm. just you know they're gonna have plus 12 in things and that's like a ridiculous amount to have in anything in that game and for them the 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 fun of the game is to try to break it like that but fate is already so it's so hard for a character to die in that game that when you play it to min max it's almost like going antithetical to the point of the game like so, uh, you know, stuff like that, where it's just like, okay, that's not the kind of game this is. And so for this player, it's not going to work. And so, uh, yeah, maybe we do change some things to make that work better for, for that particular player. So the fate series, so like, depending on the system you're using, because uh, the way that people describe the fate, the fate system to me is more like a sandbox with some, uh, with some, with some uh, pillars and then to keep everything in, in it. 
But yeah, and can... a lot of the a lot of the game is built on uh, like a feel of kind of pulpy action. Um, mm -hmm. So characters are meant to be really, really good at the things that they're good at, and to be able to take out mooks no problem, right? As opposed to something like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, level one, you're gonna die probably. You're right? gonna get um, flaked. Yeah, you're gonna completely get uh, destroyed. But fate, like it's, you almost have to make your character die before they'll actually. Yeah, like, it's very difficult for the GM to set up a situation where actually the characters are going to die. Um, and so it, if if you you know, if you're trying to play a game um, that cares about death and cares about combat, then maybe fate isn't the right right game for you. And, and that's that brings me back to I think what's the most important thing about like the steps you should take before you homebrew. Um, right. Play for a while first. Um, if you instantly dislike the game, find a different game. And even if you play for 10 sessions and you find out, okay, this isn't the game for us, my first instinct wouldn't be homebrew the rules. My first instinct would be find a better game for what you want. Um, the best case scenario, the thing you, the reason you would homebrew, in my opinion, is you play the game for a really long time, you love it a lot, but there are a few things here and there that don't quite work for you, and you tweak them to make it fit uh, to, to, to like, you know, uh, iron out those rough edges, uh, mm -hmm. to make it as like smooth as possible out. for you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Sand it out, make it, make it even better, but, but you already loved it in the first place. So I wouldn't take a, a system like Dungeons and Dragons, uh -huh. for example, and say, well, we want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but we actually want to play, um, a spy thriller. It's like, no, then don't play Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> right? Like that's yeah. not the game. Like you, you would have to change the game so much to make that work that it's not worth mm -hmm. it at that point. Just play a different game. Yeah. Um, so with homebrewing comes kind of like, uh, like homebrewing your own campaign, homebrewing your own world. What would you say is the, one of the hardest uh, parts about that part of homebrewing? Because right now I'm kind of stuck in, because I'm trying to do build a game for my work group. And right now I'm getting basically too involved in like the lore of the land and i don't want it to be oversaturated with just lore uh, and then have lore based um campaigns and events and stuff like that i also want it, but i also find myself struggling to give up to leave room for them to make their own lore for for mm -hmm. example so yeah are you talking about Dungeons and dragons or uh, what what system it's uh it's 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 a uh, dnd uh fifth yeah okay all right yeah, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of like um both official and fan-made like, you know, monster compendiums and extra like rule books and stuff that if you did like care about um like if you if you had to get a particular feel across for the campaign and you were struggling to do so with like the what the fifth what fifth edition is already doing in like the core books and and like your your biggest problem is like I you know I, I had this idea for the world and it's not quite fitting um, then there's there's is a bunch of material out there you'd have to obviously play test some of it and it's probably some of it's probably broken um, but if you're if you're talking about in terms of like um, how do I stop how do I not catch world builders disease? Yes. I, I feel, yeah. Okay. That, yeah. I feel like that's slightly different than just like dealing with homebrew stuff. Um, but in that case, I would say, um, I think the best role-playing games are 
are made when the the GM has a strong vision for what the world is, mm-hmm. um, but leaves a lot of spaces for the characters to for the players themselves to to um, to bring in their ideas. So I think the like the short answer for that would be um, draw maps, but leave blanks. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, you should have an outline if we're if we're you know if we're saying the campaign is a continent and we're drawing a map for this for this campaign right um, this isn't actually map drawing it's just an analogy mm-hmm. um, if we're saying the campaign is a continent you want to know the rough edges of the continent you know want to know the main mountain ranges you want to know where the rivers run and maybe have some marks on the map but you don't want to know what those marks are right you don't know you want you don't want to know is this a dungeon is this a city is this a whatever um you want to leave blanks for the for the players to be able to fill in their ideas with um with their characters especially when you're playing something like dungeons and dragons where you're like you know everyone has their own you know version of elves or version of goblins what are are goblins in, in your world right what are elves in your world i think it's way more fun um, now, there are some players who need a little bit more handholding with this sort of thing, but um, if you have players who've been playing for a while, it's really fun to to be like, um, cool, well, uh, I know what village you're in right now, I know no stuff about that, but I don't know anything about the elves. Hey, you, elf player, what are the elves like in this world, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're about to go to the elf lands for the first time, what, are, what is that like? Like, you tell me. Um, you know, ask them some questions, get them, get them thinking about it. Um, obviously the way they made their character is already going to, um, inform the world. Um, and I, I try to make it a conversation, right? Go, go back and forth. You, you obviously are the, you know, as the GM, the final arbiter of, of, of things, but don't, don't go, don't just ask them a question and say, no, um, say yes. And, or yes, but right. Like, um, you know, they say, oh, I think the elves should be, um, I think all elves are drow. Right. They're all dark elves that, you know, that that's what all elves are in this world. And you say, OK, yes, but that's because they killed all the regular elves a long time ago and they used to exist. Right. Like um, if you have a particular idea that's going to work better for your mm-hmm. vision of the world, um, try to say yes as much as possible and then add stipulations to that. Right. Be like and this other thing, but mm. this other thing. Mm, OK, OK. Uh, and I'm kind of like ping ponging, sorry, ping ponging around here. Um, uh, I love how you're I did, interviewing me. I, I, I you actually I have like, notes, so I I actually have a I actually skimmed over one of my questions for you actually. Um, so uh, I guess it comes with house rules, homebrewing, kind of like that. Um, what? So like, if say like a player had a player is absent for a session and they're and you've left off on like a cliffhanger like how remember how nate would just suddenly just not show up and he'd be we'd be in the middle just of a dungeon sleeping in the in the back of the dungeon yeah yeah so um one of the i saw actually i saw this on tiktok uh someone had uh used that player's absence and swapped them out with a doppelganger and it was actually a and a, a uh entity of the the main villain and just had the them follow them around and was like hey this is now your this is now your session's boss so here you go here's this swapped out character that is exactly built like your friend so that's fine i think so so like how uh so would that be is that are those acceptable story points for uh not story points but uh actions to take for like player absences 
Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say <laughs> the the like the most important thing is I, I. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of so most most of the time uh, what I do is we just try to um focus on. Yeah, honestly, I'm just, I'm trying to think about most of the games that I play right now are games where m most of the time the characters have their own things going on anyway. Like Burning Wheel, for example, does um, a lot of times it's like each character has their own goals and motivations and sometimes they cross over and work together on things. But other times they're off doing their own thing with their own mm -hmm. separate scenes. So a lot of times it's really easy to just like be like, OK, well, you know, Alphonse, Jared's character Alphonse isn't here today. Um, so he's off doing something else uh, in the city. And you guys are just going to continue. But yeah, like for something like Dungeons and Dragons, right? Where like, especially if you're like in the middle of a dungeon, mm -hmm. that's a little bit more difficult. Most of the time I've just opted to not play, but that's because my players are so consistent that uh, skipping one week isn't a big deal at all. Um, we can just play next week. Uh, <laughs> but I know for most people, that's just not the case, right? Um, no, it's not. Yeah, I've been I've been blessed with uh, our, my Thursday night group. They're They're the most consistent people ever. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of like punishing players for, for apps, for being abstinent, abstinent, <laughs> absent. Remember kids, abstinence. <laughs> I wouldn't punish them for being abstinent uh, either. Um, uh, unless they were married, <laughs> I guess that would be bad. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Like, I guess you try to find a way as much as possible to um, not break the immersion and keep the character like either if you're like in the middle of a dungeon and there's no way to like just send a character off to do something else. I would just play the character probably mm -hmm. um, and you just ask ask the player like um, or, or have another player character uh, another player play the character and just ask you know text the player and be like hey what are you going to do this session like give us some ground rules and some guidelines as to how you play your character um especially if it's something that's like really important and they you know they can't be there but we need to keep going then yeah you're just gonna we're just play your character but if there's any any way possible to send them off to do something else i would do that like let's say they're a you know only a few rooms into a dungeon i would be like okay cool well joe is gonna go take all the treasure and go back to the entrance of the dungeon away for you guys and go you know and you're going to press on um, for one reason or another, right? Just like try to try to get them out of the scene if you can. Um, but you can't always do that. Um, so remind me, what was your your example that you gave again? I, I think I missed a, an important piece of what you were saying. Um, so sorry, cat problems. My cat <laughs> dead. Um, <laughs> so uh, so it wasn't a problem. So we, I was playing, uh, we were doing a, the Star Wars campaign, which is basically the Star Wars meets 3.5, the okay. old one that nobody likes. Yeah, the Saga, Saga edition. And, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. I had some fun times about that. Anyways, um, and so, so we, uh, so we were set in like a Clone Wars era, and one of our, uh, one of our party members was swapped out with a clone. Because he wasn't there that day, and he was an eight. It turns out he was an agent, a separatist, like assassin, whatever. Like just swapped out, implanted memories, all that, you know, all that jazziness. Mm -hmm. Um, and we all really thought that was a cool idea, but then it got regurgitated every time someone missed a missed a session. 
<laughs> he just kept doing that over yeah. and over again. This okay. person's a separatist spy. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so what what did you do after the player came back? Um, he we actually had to spend the next session looking for him because he was either being held captive. Oh, on right. Ship or so something. it was someone. It was someone replacing them and pretending mm. to be them. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. Yep, and we'd have to find that person, rescue that person, etc. Um, just in case, because I was going to say like, okay, that well, only works so many times. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it felt like a com, com, a repeat like mission from a video game over and over again because it happened like three or four times. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing to think about if you're um, uh, doing a campaign where you know that's going to be an issue a lot um, is to set up the premise in such a way that it's very easy to switch in and out. Um, so like at one point um, I heard about someone who did a campaign uh, where basically it was, you know, a group of, it was like D and D or something. It was a group of adventurers who, um, you know, worked for this organization that was like extra planner and like had their home base on some demi plane somewhere. And every time they would send them on a mission, they would like teleport them there and, uh, and, you know, and then they would come back to the extra planner base. And so most of the time, what, what he would try to do is keep the missions down, keep each mission that they sent them out on to the length of a session so that mm -hmm. like the cast could swap in and out at will because it would just be like, OK, well, this time we're just taking these people on this mission. Um, and it would be, a, you know, it's a large organization of adventurers. So everybody has their own things going on. And sometimes we take this guy and sometimes he goes off on his own thing. Uh, and so something like that could be like, if, if you know, it's going to be an issue, um, setting up the campaign premise itself in a way that's going to be amenable to that is helpful. Um, one of the reasons that I like burning wheel is most of the time, um, the characters have enough going on on their own that it's very easy to, to, to do a session with any amount of players, right? Mm -hmm. Cause it can just be like, okay, well today we're just going to focus on what you're doing in the, in the city and the other characters will be doing their own, own things next time. Um, so yeah, just setting up the campaign premise in a way that's helpful. Okay, okay. Um, I did see this one. It wasn't about an absentee, but it was actually really a really way, a uh, really good way to like lead into like a, a boss fight or something like that. Um, the GM almost one shot at a character and went on this like huge monologue about how they're not going to just come in here and just one one shot me no i'm gonna one shot you guys this is my example he's hanging by on by a thread do not make do not make this quick for me i'm immortal i don't die i'm not having fun anymore let me have some fun kind of a thing and i thought that was a really cool way to uh introduce the big bad per se um, sure yeah just yeah uh overriding like go ahead well, I was just going to say, um, I mean, if you if you want to go ahead and continue what you're saying, I, I was going to go make us go on a tangent. Over, like basically overriding the safeguards there's just to uh, make sure that there's a, a important point made, a, a plot point, I guess, is kind of not really, I guess it's not really homebrewing. It's kind of like GM narrative control, I guess. Sure. Yeah, yeah. When I when I think of homebrewing, I'm thinking of like... Um, changing the rules of the game um mm -hmm. to to you know uh, change your, but but i think other people can have used homebrew before to be like if it's a homebrew campaign it's a um uh it's not a published adventure right you're making it up as you go along mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah that's that's another side of, of homebrewing um that we can chat about um 
Yeah. Well, yeah. here, let's let's do this before we move on to that part of it. Let's let's uh, let's go back to homebrew rules. I'm, I'm curious. What, what are some of the times you've done that uh, in a campaign? Like actually change rules of a game and and like what what happened? Um. So my biggest regret for doing uh, for homebrew rules is letting people pick what weapons out of the book. Just like without having to. Um. Without having to pay for it, without just like, having to get it, so people, yeah, yep, just you get any weapon you want in the book. So they have they grab the the thunder sword, the two poison rapier things. Oh, like, magic! The weapons. named weapons. <laughs> the Seth, named weapons. I could have told you this was a uh, you know, from day one. Look, <laughs> listen, listen, man. I was it was my first campaign. Everybody was really excited because it was a pirates versus pirates versus soldiers kind of campaign. There's it was uh, dur- during w- lockdown. I had four pirates, four soldiers. They're- I was going to do five sessions with each, and then we're going to meet up and duke it out. Nice. That was the That's plan. Fun. But everybody wanted to. But then everybody was like, "Well, I don't want to. I want to do this." So I was like, I was a little lean. I was too much of a yes man with it. So everybody else got super yeah. powerful, overpowered magic weapons. Um, the only cool thing was was uh, this this one player made a Kenku rogue. I was okay with it. Like, you know, that's yeah. Kenku Rogue is fun. Yeah, I, that that's fun. And I was like, oh, well, you let them be a Kenku. You let them choose a, a out of the monster manual. I'm like, so it's a supported player race. It's a uh, it's it's sentient. It's not like I'm letting them be a golem with a goal a, a sentient golem because yeah, yeah, you're gonna have a, a wisdom of two and an intelligence of one or zero what would it no and then and then uh, another guy the that same player that had the really overpowered weapons was a werewolf barbarian and he at level two had an armor class of 19 very fun no a barbarian with an armor class of 19 that's something new mm-hmm yeah okay uh, i i was i was just I was overwhelmed with just this, what this first group of players, and they just did not respect or listen to this. They're like, "Oh, I want my overpowered stuff. Give my overpowered stuff." So when I got, I got mad at them. So I put in this event that happened. I had a big, a big whale swallow everything up, and everybody else got spit up on shore. Nothing on them. They. They all have to buy their crap again. Oh, Seth, you stumbled upon one of the classic <laughs> blunders. <laughs> so I, I also did that in a campaign um, way back when. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Seth. I think you were in this campaign. The Jared got full plate mail and was like ridiculously overpowered. And uh, I is this a dolphin? This was a this was a Pathfinder game we were playing. Uh, uh, I was gonna say, is this about the dolphin? <laughs> No, it's not about the dolphin. This is um before dolphin. Actually, yeah, I don't think you were there. This was um I think this was before this before we were actually using proper D&D rules actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Um I was making a lot of it up as it go- went along. J- Jared got full plate mail armor and he was too overpowered probably because I didn't know what I was doing. That's that was the main issue. Uh and so I had he was on a ship and I had the ship just start sinking and uh I was like, "Sorry Jared, uh you can't uh can't take your full plate because you're going to drown. Um, and he he 
I forgot that he had a potion of like giant strength on him. And he's like, yes, I can swim with his armor on. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> but yes. So I, I don't let's let's just put it out there. Don't do this. Um, don't give them overpowered stuff in the first place, but also don't take it away if you've already already given it. Like you have to you have to sleep in the bed you've made. Uh, I'm just going to put that out there right now. You have to. You can't just like like it's one thing to take a player aside and be like, hey, I made I made a mistake. Like this is too overpowered. Can we tweak this and, and like take it back or like go in a different direction because it's not fun for every, anybody. And then if they say no, then OK, well, then again, you have to make the bed you lie in. If they're being a jerk about it, that's one thing. But uh, otherwise, like you. um it's another thing to literally take them away in a cheap way like that, right? Where like the whale swallows them and then just happens to spit them out without their magic weapons. Uh, yeah, don't don't do that. Uh, past Seth, don't do that. Uh, future Seth, don't do that. Future Caleb, don't do that. Future anyone, don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, that that. That that was just that was just me being I I hundred percent agree with me that was a very petty move of me to make but it was just so ridiculous because yeah yeah it can be frustrating for sure the first group was all like game the game the game like okay fine 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 and the second group was can I have a plus two long sword can I have a plus one short sword can I have this staff of firebolts I'm like oh okay like yeah. Yeah, so uh, what I like what I like to do if we're talking about like um being too too nice with your players, I like to be a yes man when it comes to players succeeding on roles. Mm-hmm. Um but not but not a yes man when it comes to allowing what the like um a player just asking for something in the first place, right? I, I my my main philosophy is the players have to earn what they get, right? So mm-hmm. um and they have they have to suffer for it. They have they have to suffer for it. And so it's totally fine to um you know, set up uh, like so. For example, um, my current running D and campaign, there was a point in in which where I set up a it was like a thieves guild. We're actually doing the Savage Tide um with this group um a, re- a reboot of it um and uh, you actually Savage, finish it. Yes, yes, we're we're on the adventure. We stopped right now. Um, we'll we'll see if we get past it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> where we're getting up there. Um, there was a, a thieves guild right in the first adventure where. Uh, and I was, you know, playing fast and loose with the uh, with adapting it because I couldn't I couldn't find the exact same map that would work for World 20. And so I, you know, found a different map and then adapted what was supposed to be in this Thieves Guild to this new map. Mm-hmm. And I set up a hallway, a dangerous hallway where the thieves would um, test themselves against spike traps and, you know, oiled pillars and stuff like that. Right. Um, to attempt to get treasure on the other side of the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh it was great. And I was like, okay, sounds good. They're not going to be able to make it over this hallway. It's very deadly. Um, you know, through this corridor. Uh, but if they do, they happen to by some chance, um, then I'm going to put a plus two hand crossbow in this. Cause I rolled it randomly on the treasure table and I was like, wow. Okay. That's like a very rare chance that this happened, but it happened. So I'm going to put it in here, a plus two hand crossbow and you know, they're not going to get it, but it would be cool if they did. And then, uh, a player looked at the hallway, saw the treasure chest on the other side and was like, yeah, we're not going through that hallway. That's dumb. We're going to die. Went into the other room. There was a bed in the other room, grabbed the mattress from the bed and used it to go across the spike pits. <laughs> and I looked at the length of it and I was like, yep, 
there's there'd be no <laughs> issue with this. Uh, you could use the mattress to cross the the deadly hallway. I was like, sounds good. You get the plus two hand crossbow, and I was like, okay, sounds good. I, like I I I made my bed. I have to lie in it. Um, and that's the sort of thing that um I think works just fine. Starting mm-hmm. out a campaign and being like, oh, you get all this stuff. Don't do that. But be generous with treasure if the players earn it, right? Like make it hard. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times it will happen like that where where they'll be, it'll be easier than you thought for them to get it. Um, but too bad. Like you set it up, um, let them have the thing. Uh, don't take it away from them. Don't be cheap about it. Um, it if there's a situation where, like for example, um, fourth adventure of this game, um, it starts off with a shipwreck, right? So shipwreck on the Isle of Dread. And I talked to the players beforehand and I said, okay, the premise of this adventure is you are shipwrecked on the Isle of Dread without any cool stuff and you have to make your way to far shore with, you know, you can't teleport there. You can't fly there. You can't just, you know, can't contact people to pick you up. You have to make your way through the jungle. Are we all okay with this? And everyone was like, sounds good. And I, and, and I set it up to be like, okay, you lose all your stuff except for like your main weapon. Um, and anything that like you c- couldn't have fallen off of you during the shipwreck right so like you're, you, so you're, in your you get your boots yeah it, it wasn't well some stuff that was in your pockets that could have fallen out okay maybe you'll lose that but like your boots your armor like okay you, you keep that stuff um every other magic item i was like okay you lost it but you can spend some time at the shipwreck and there's a certain like if you succeed on this investigation check you can roll on this random table And some of the results on the table are magic items of yours that you can recover from the shipwreck, right? And that was super fun for them because they got to like spend a bunch of time like combing through the shipwreck and slowly getting like the the magic items they wanted from the shipwreck to like, you know, outfit themselves for the adventure ahead. Um, And there was a couple of things where I was like, this is strictly off off limits. You can't have your bag of holding. You know, you can't have your uh, sending stones. Um, because again, premise of the adventure, but everyone was okay with that, right? We, we, we set up the, the expectations beforehand and everyone agreed to it so that when I just said you have no magic items, they didn't freak out. But you wish you would have done that 10 years ago. Yes. Yes. That would have been. Yep. And again, like some, some of the stuff you just have to learn through GMing, right? You just have to do it and fail. Um, but, uh, yeah. But we also, you also have Jared, who is the king of, uh, I'm gonna play a stupid game and see what kind of stupid prize I stupid get. Stupid prizes I get, yeah. And honestly, most of the time, those stupid prizes are ascension to godhood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, if he would, if, that, if he could take the bar, and he'd be a, an unstoppable lawyer. If the amount would. of times that Jared has found a way to ascend to godhood, I'm not even being figurative. I'm being literal. In the campaigns that we've run, I I can't even. It's it's so many times. Uh, we literally just had a session Saturday, yesterday, uh, Seth, in Burning Wheel, where he talked to a goddess, and by the end of the conversation, he had a path to ascension to godhood in his hand. And it was just like it all it all lined up so perfectly, and I was like, of course this is what she would say, right? <laughs> and it just happens, you know? Jared just <laughs> gets what he wants. <laughs> it's a Jared mistake. Jared gets what he wants. <laughs> it's a mistake to put Jared and I in the same room with a role-playing game, because... He has such fun ideas and I want to say yes to them, right? So anyway. And he has the, he has the dice to pull him I mean, off, but so. you've I was gonna say you've also but you've also been able to humble him though. The dolphin, the yes. planet exploding. Well uh, he survived the planet exploding. Oh my bad, my bad. That's the um, issue. 
The, yeah. turning, him, turning him into a rabbit. That was very fun. It was very fun to kill Jembe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said there is the next topic we were going to is. Yeah. Homebrewing as like uh, uh, improv campaigns as opposed to published stuff. Yeah. yeah do you have any stories there? Um, basically that one I tried running during the, the, the lockdown. Um, mm, yeah. That just. I, 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 I saw what I wanted in my head. I couldn't put it to paper. I went to a GM that I used to play with uh, for uh, 40k stuff. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Imperial. No, it's Rogue Trader. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 40k. Yep. It's super fun. I recommend it 100%. Cool. And so that that GM helped me build my world, build my first dungeon. We did basically a, a mock tower of London, but made it a maze. We only did like three or four levels for it. And, uh, my story was bland, boring and did not grab the attention of my people because I was like, you're pirates. You're trying to get the crown. There we go. So, <laughs> and nobody really, uh, nobody really stuck with it. So, I, my biggest pitfall, I guess, was I wasn't captivating enough for my game. So mm -hmm. I get I was the yes man for gear and stuff, but I did not focus on making my story good. Yeah, I, I would say like my first like instinct with that is um, the thing to the, re the the way you get your players invested in the story is making the story about them. Right. Um, uh, you, you know, look at their characters, uh, look at the, what they put on their sheet, look at the decisions that they made to make their character and then reward those decisions, right? Challenge those decisions mm. as well, but reward those decisions, right? You, you take a look at the character who decided to put um, a bunch of points into cooking, for example, and you, you make something matter for cooking, right? Don't just, <laughs> don't, don't like, uh, don't punish those sorts of character decisions. Um, there's, there's something in the burning wheel, um, uh, a reward at the end of a session that you can get called right skill, right time. Um, basically it's like, if you have some sort of random obscure skill and it actually helps, you get a fate point, um, at the end of the session. And that's a, that's the, that sort of stuff is a way of rewarding clever character burning. Um, and you as a GM should like lean into that sort of thing. We did a whole, um, five mm -hmm. session kind of mini campaign once with, uh, a bunch of people on a boat ride, um, mm -hmm. you know, going from one place to another, they're going to sell a bunch of stuff at, at the port. Um, and one of the characters was the cook, right? That was the character decision he tried to he decided to make. He was the ship's cook. And I tell you what, I have very rarely ever come across something so compelling as this poor man trying to cook good food for a bunch of grumpy sailors. It was some of the most fun role playing I've ever done just by focusing on like a game that allows cooking to be a skill focus on that sort of stuff, right? Like this character was a cook. What does that mean? Like, how does the character like make that make the story about those characters in in an integral way? Right? There was other stuff he did. He did plenty of plenty of other stuff. He helped on the ship. He he fought some lizard people at one point. But like his main story was trying to be a good cook and failing, and it was so much fun because I didn't try to make the story about the thing that the character didn't want it to be about right like we i rewarded the decisions that he made on his character sheet um the the way that he decided to make his character 
And that's the sort of thing that I would recommend doing, right? Like you, you take a look at that, that session and I don't, I don't know what your characters chose or whatever, but like, um, you know, I would have maybe even, um, not said like you're pirates, uh, doing this thing. I would have been like, okay, sounds good. Um, we're, you know, the, the setting I figured out, there's this dungeon, right? It's, you know, tower of London with a maze. There's like a crown that you're supposed to get. Why would you want to do this? Right? Like what, what, what kind of characters would do this? Um, what is interesting to you about that sort of scenario? Like what would be fun for you? What would be a reason you would want to go after something like this? And we can make our characters around that concept, right? Correct me if I'm using this term wrong. So, uh, so you're a supporter of uh, railroading people? No, not railroading. Railroading is um, uh, taking a look at, uh, it's basically uh, a character wants to make a decision that's outside of your plan and you make them not do it. Um, mm. right. You, you force them to stay on the railroad. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm advocating the opposite of it. Um, which is, um, don't set a railroad down. Um, you are, uh, this is a conversation you're having. I'm trying to think of a better, like an analogy. If we're talking about railroad, it's not a railroad. It's, um, you, you have, you're giving them all ATVs, right? Okay. Uh, and you're like, okay, this is the the forest with all these trails that you can drive your ATV down, but like you can go anywhere but, in but this you gotta area. Tell me why. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, you have to roll if you want to go off road or try to drive through a tree. Um, right. But like, there's, there's a lot more options than just, okay, you, you literally can only go in one direction. Um, now a lot of this can be just solved with player buy-in, right? Have a conversation, but do session zero, um, have a conversation beforehand and say, what are we excited about, right? This is what I'm excited about. I, I, you know, I just watched the Lord of the Rings and I'm really into like some epic fantasy war stuff. What about you guys? And then someone else maybe says, well, uh, that could be fun. But I also, uh, recently read, um, uh, the, uh, let's see. I recently read, uh, Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. So I'm interested in like the, the, the epic war stuff, but maybe we make it like with, we're all like super powerful magic users. Like it's like a magic war instead, right? Like let's let's fly. Can we fly around? Um, you know, we, I don't want I don't want low magic with Lord of the Rings. Let's do high magic. And then someone else suggests, oh, cool, high magic. Well, I was just playing this video game, and in that video game, this was the magic system that you could do. Can we do something like that? And then you start p taking these pieces together, and there you go. That's your campaign. Now the GM should have like a strong vision for something out of the gate, um, a, a some sort of premise. But I, I make it moldable, right? Like um, mm -hmm. take input from your players. Um, now, again, a lot of this has to do with player buy-in. So if the players themselves don't want to do that sort of brainstorming, then don't force them to, right? If, if they're perfectly content to be like, Seth, you make up the whole story and we'll just follow it, um, then perfect, great. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Um, then then you, you're, you're set to go. Um, but most of the time I found that letting players be invested themselves in the world in a way that lets them change it is the way to get them hooked. Um, uh, what have you, what, what are your, some of your uh, major regrets that aren't with Jared for, uh, uh, major regrets in, in what sense, just in general or, uh, in general as a GM, uh, yeah, like so I, what, so, I'm, I'm actually glad you asked that question. I, I had, uh, I, I've been wanting to talk about this on, 
on this podcast, but I wasn't entirely sure if I would do a whole episode on a whole episode on it or not. But I'll, I'll just give you a, vin, a vignette here. Um, so we just recently um, did what I thought was going to be the finale session of uh, this burning wheel campaign we've been doing for a while, which is uh, called Death Under Madness. Uh, you can check it out on uh, on on YouTube. Um, started off, it's Carly's been been a part of it the whole time, and then uh, a couple other people, um, some uh, like a, a student from Carly's college, um, and then a couple of friends from Twitter um, that we got wrapped in and the cast kind of changed here and there as we played. Um, but we finished season four of it. Um, and, and that was going to be the end. Um, and we played this final episode and the whole campaign had been kind of centered around, um, this city state of Cynia. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, at one point they had had to flee it because it was going crazy and everyone was like going mad on uh, this, like uh, cult started and was like killing everybody. And, th and they left Cynia and then they spent a big arc, like, preparing to return and like reclaim it um mm -hmm. because like one of them was like the rightful king and needed to come back and and you know claim their crown and it was this whole big thing leading up to this this moment and um a bunch of things went wrong first oh. uh i think i made a, a a gm mistake by trying to um play my cards too early with a couple of npcs um you know you know i was i was they were expecting to have a confrontation. One one character was expecting to have a confrontation with one NPC um, because a lot of their arc was surrounding was surrounding that NPC. And I I was planning on pulling a switcheroo and making that NPC actually be trying to assassinate a different character. And I think it would have worked if I had played it right. But what I I played my card too early and I said, okay, this NPC this NPC is in the room. Make like a an observation check to like notice if they're in the room because they're going to try to assassinate you. And um, they, uh, they, you know, they failed the observation check, so they didn't know he was in the room, but they knew he was in the room as players. And so I couldn't easily just say, oh, I take it back. It's actually a better idea to send this character off in this other direction. Um, but because what happened was one of the players, um, has this ability called faith and faith is like the catch all be all deus ex machina. You can make miracles happen. Right. Um, but it's, it's usually mm -hmm. very hard to, to do these miracles. Um, the character had in question here had very cleverly set up their faith in such a way that they were going to like have this um, cool thing go off at this particular time that, that would allow the role to be much easier. And it was very clever, but it made they basically walked into this throne room. All these NPC villains are there and he miracles them away. Right. He doesn't like kill them or anything, mm -hmm. but he he miracles them away so he can do the special ritual he needs to do to like save Sinia in this room. And I should have done so many different things. I shouldn't, I shouldn't at first, I should have like taken a step back and been like, okay, we were planning on this big confrontation with all these other NPCs and these characters being able to talk to them. Like we should play out this conversation a little bit more before you do your magic miracle thing. I should have done that first. Didn't do that. And then even then, should have taken back the, oh, the assassins in the room and made the assassin go after this other character who was not in this scene so they could have their epic moment that they had been planning on this whole time. But I had already like set in stone, this guy's in the room too. You make him go away too. And we had this moment where like this, all of these other characters who were planning their arcs around this big confrontation didn't get to have their moment with these NPCs in the way that they thought it, it would. So it, it really ruined the pacing. It ruined everybody's like, um enjoyment of the episode because all of a sudden we were all sitting there like i think he just wins right i think we just like there's no more struggle right like he just does the thing he was supposed to do in this room and there's no one to stop him 
And again, this isn't a fault of the character of, of the character with faith. He was mm -hmm. very clever about the way he set this up and he succeeded a role, a very important, difficult role. But we were also blindsided by it that it took us a really long time to get back on our feet. And by the time we had done that and like still gotten some of the scenes in like different ways and like found ways to wrap up character arcs. I, we got to the end of the episode and I was so flustered that I just kind of rushed us through the ending and was like, okay, sounds good. We're epilogging and anything you guys want to do. And nobody said anything. And we just ended the episode and we ended the campaign. And I could tell after we finished the episode, no one liked that. Um, right. Let's look the, the telltale games. Could Nobody you have uh, just had that scene? How could, could you have, I just had that scene be like, could you have just have done like that, that scene as like the end scene of him doing that ritual, but like, like, uh, you know how like, uh, and heroes will say heroes, like how it was like five days before. Five and then it'll go five days earlier, kind of thing. Mm. Could have just had that been the ending, and then just went through all that, then finished his scene. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I would have done, I've been thinking about this for a long time uh, since since we finished that episode. Um, what I, I think I would have done if I had like there's stuff I should have fixed in the middle of the session, but if I had we had gotten through all of that and gotten to the point where he did the thing, right? He he accomplished the ritual, saved the city. I should have ended right there, but instead what I did is I continued and we rushed through the epilogue and made a bunch of roles without ever playing them out, like, and actually really digging into the characters and what they were doing and saying when they did their epilogue roles. And what I should have done is shouldn't have rushed through things, should have ended right there, reevaluated, because even at that point, there was stuff that, like, wasn't really sitting well with anybody. And I should have just been like, okay, sounds good. We're going to stop there. Next time, we're going to pick back up and give these characters a proper long epilogue. Um, there's probably still a little, little, little bit more that could happen. I, I, you know, there was a couple of really important roles that we kind of just skipped through because I was like, okay, we're done with this. Mm -hmm. We're just going to bring it to his conclusion. Um, and so what I ended up doing is I, t I texted um, everybody and I was like, hey guys, how do you feel about that ending? And, and universally, it was basically like, like, yeah, like you know, my feelings had been confirmed. Um, and mi the main concern was like, yeah, it felt that the ending was rushed. Like we wanted more time with those characters, especially because, um, the climax for the character with faith, that was his climax, right? Was saving the city with his faith magic. Um, mm -hmm. but for the other characters who didn't have their special faith magic, they're all like talky characters who were like involved in the politics of saving the city and their climax, their endings were about rebuilding the city, right? That was their arc. And so what we ended up doing is we decided, okay, sounds good. We're going to do one more session. Uh, we're doing it on the 20th. Um, one more session, and we're going to give these characters an epilogue. We're going to retcon. We're going to go back in time, and we're going to actually play out those scenes instead of just rushing through them. Um, and I think it'll end up being a much better ending, um, even if we have to retcon a little bit um, to, to do it that way. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely, definitely, like, I got finished with that, that episode, Seth, and it's probably the, the worst I've ever felt after ending anything as a GM. Um, I, I like, I knew I had just messed up majorly. Right. I was like racking my brain. It's like, what could I have done differently? And I found a bunch of things, but I was like, I just, I didn't realize it in the moment, um, that that's what was happening. And how many so times flustered. did you rewatch it? I, I only rewatched it once. Um, and I listened through it and like, I did end up, um, editing the episode a little bit for YouTube 
and mainly cut out things that like ruined pacing. I tried to keep it snappy and like a bunch of times we were just sitting around like, what are we doing? I don't really know, like confused, like uh, struggling to come up with the next thing. I cut out all those things. So it, it, it seems to the, you know, the final version that we're going from thing to thing a little bit more smoothly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that I'm having a chance to actually go back and give it a better ending. Um, but it certainly was like uh, probably the biggest mistake I think I've ever made as a GM. Um, yeah, no, I cannot wait to see like actually the whole episode on this, on that little pit on that thing. Um, yeah, it might still happen. We'll see. I think you could go more, a little bit more into depth on that. And I think that you could bring like Carly or someone on it. To yeah, we might do like a, building. yeah, we might do like a whole big postmortem of the whole campaign. Um, that might be fun. Uh, yeah. Um, but another thing that I had was, uh, house rules and then it was like slash punishments. Yeah. Like, uh, there's, uh, I keep going to TikTok, but it keeps, I, I'm on D and D TikTok. I can't help it. Yeah. Um, and so one dude, uh, has this person who's like always on their phone. So for every mm-hmm. minute on their phone, it's minus one to their next initiative. I don't, I don't do that stuff. I uh, hate it. I, I, I despise it. Don't do that thing. Don't do that to your players. Private, privately go up to them. Like, if you don't want to be here, we can get, we can properly exit you. Yeah. But, and even then, most of the time, it's not them doing it intentionally, right? Like they probably don't even realize that they're being a distraction or, or not paying attention. Yeah. Um, some people also, I mean, are, are have a hard time focusing. <laughs> uh, Seth. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think like, like there's people like that. So like, be kind. Don't uh, number one rule of GMing. Do not punish the care, the characters for what the players do. Don't do that. That is that you're, you're crossing a line as a GM. You have authority over these people. Don't abuse it. Um, there are ways to handle that sort of thing out of character that do mm-hmm. not involve arbitrary like because like it doesn't make any sense in the rules of the in like the actual game like why is this character randomly getting minus 1 on their whatever because the imaginary the person behind the curtain who doesn't actually exist in the game world is doing something that the GM doesn't like that doesn't make any sense yeah yeah i i highly recommend against that um like just talk about it as as people right like uh take take them aside and and like a lot of this is is um easily handled by setting up expectations at the beginning of a a campaign right Mm -hmm. um do session zero um ask people like like get to know your players ask them what they're interested in in the game sense but also in a playing the game sense right like what stuff do you know as uh like I'm trying to think of another example besides like just being being on your phone, but like, uh, you know, house rules such as um, like what happens when the dice fall off the table, right? Figure that yeah. stuff out beforehand. So you don't have big arguments in the middle of a game, mm-hmm. right? Just like do the work in, in, in advance. I was going to say, I, I don't do a lot of zoom D and D or roll 20 D and D. I do a lot of in-person D and D now. Um, I pretty much only do uh zoom, uh, zoom RPGs. So, so, I think that's a, I don't want to say that's kind of different, I guess. I guess it's it is, a lot, yeah. it, it is a lot different because when you're face to face and someone's not paying attention to something that you're working very, very hard on or something that you're, you, you do get mad at that person, but you shouldn't get mad at that character. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, guess, and uh, even if you do get mad at the person, don't, yeah, like don't uh, deal with it as a 
uh, a human being, not a vindictive game master. Um, yeah. Have you ever been vindictive towards your players, Caleb? I mean, certainly I have, but like it was basically just me being a teenager and being mad at uh, my friends for uh, doing dumb things in the game. Right. Like as soon as as soon as you we got past that and just started, actually, I think one of the things that actually really helped me was doing stuff on Zoom slash Roll20. Right. Like mm -hmm. doing it on the Internet, because um, I started listening to a whole bunch of like um, D&D podcasts and D&D like YouTube shows and stuff. Right. And and saw like, oh, OK, they're doing this as like entertainers. It's like a show. Right. Like they're presenting this to an audience. Uh, and that honestly really helped me because I love doing that sort of stuff. I'm an entertainer by heart uh, at, at heart I, um, and by instinct. Like I like doing things for an audience. Um, I'm not actually the most extroverted person when it comes to like being at a party or something, but like you get me in front of on a stage with a guitar or something like, oh, that's my jam. Right. Um, and so this, that sort of thing really helped me to view it in the proper way. Right. It's not, it's, it doesn't have to be just, it, it, if you view it as, um, just friends hanging out, then yes. And, and like in some, some cases it is that's, and that's fine. But like, if you're talking about those sorts of things, like, um, yeah, like being on your phone or, you know, being, uh, not paying attention to the game, those sorts of things are harder to justify when all the players know we're doing this for an audience, right? Um, and like, yeah, that means you, you have to have your A game on. Um, but I, I, I found that it, in, it drastically increases the, the like, uh, quality of my games, but also my enjoyment of them. Because when everyone's on their A game, you, you can get a lot more done and a lot more um, accomplished. But also, um, having that separation between, as you were saying, right, it's harder to, it, it's easier to be mad at someone when you can see they're on your, on their phone, uh, and you're two feet away from them. Right. Um, but it actually gives people like when you're doing it through zoom and like, uh, as a show or whatever, right. It's, it's more socially acceptable to be like, okay, cool. My character's not involved in this. I'm going to scroll on YouTube for, or I'm going to, you know, go through Facebook for, for a bit. Um, and that's fine. As long as you're, as long as they're paying attention enough to like jump back in when it's their turn, um, then it doesn't matter what they do. Um, and you shouldn't be paying attention to what they do. And it's easier to not do that. It's easier to not pay attention, uh, when you're on zoom because you know, yeah, they're not like directly on their phone in front of you. They're just staring at their webcam, right? They're staring at their computer and they could be on roll 20. Um, don't, don't make a big deal of it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. That's, that covers about all my notes. Sweet. So I just, I just, yeah, no, that was, it was fun. I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you wrote down some questions to, to pick my brain with that. That's, that's cool. I, 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 I don't know. I've, I like interviewing people. Yeah, no, that was fun. I do. I interview people a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um well yeah man we need to we definitely uh, need to just, have you on for like a, a one shot at the very least um the the one of the issues is we don't usually do a whole lot of one shots these days because if like we're not free for our normal campaign then everyone's just like okay sounds good i have life things that i need to do um but i think i, I would have a life yeah exactly i would i think i would like to maybe set up some sort of um regular one shot time maybe and just get mm -hmm. like a rotating cast for that i think that would be super fun um there's a whole bunch of people who have like suggested, like said, like, hey, I jump on for something. Um, but like, you know, just don't have. Don't have mm -hmm. a, t a slot for that set up yet, so. 
All right. So I'm going to let you know right now. I'm assuming you're going to edit this out. So. <laughs> well, here, let, let's 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 end the episode first and you can tell me your schedule. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for having me on yeah. this podcast. I Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Uh, but yeah, this has been Idle Inspiration. Thanks for coming on, Seth. Um, we hope that you are, uh, you have been, yeah, this is an Idle Inspiration and we hope that you are inspired to play more role-playing games. That's the outro. I forgot it, but I've remembered it now. I, I, usually David does the outro. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I miss you, David. Come oh, back. <laughs> All right, we're out. Thanks for watching, guys. Adios. Adios.